John chapter 6 and verses 66 to 69. John 6, 66 to 69. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now there's uh, a great deal, surely, uh, in this chapter which uh, uh, suits um, the proceedings of uh, a communion season. Perhaps we could look first of all at uh, this uh, crucial difficulty uh, which arose and which resulted in many of the Lord's uh, disciples uh, at that time going back and walking no more with him. Uh, I'd like to look at the effects of this uh, crucial difficulty. Uh, in verse 60 uh, we're told that many of his disciples when they had heard this said this is a, a hard saying who can hear it and then in 66 from that time that's to say from the time of the sermon being preached or the address being given many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him now it would seem to be the case that uh, when Jesus uh, spoke uh, in the way he did throughout this sermon and particularly when he came to the end of the sermon and uh, uh, having listened to it those disciples said it's a hard saying it wasn't so much with reference to things that were difficult to understand that they were speaking but to things that were hard to take things that were harsh eh, to the feelings. You get the same word used, eh, translated hard in the authorised version, eh, in the parable of the talents where, eh, where the, the servant concerned said thou art an hard man. You get it in eh, the epistle of Jude eh, where the writer eh, speaks of the hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken uh, against him and it was uh, it was uh, the the hardness in in the sense of of bluntness uh, to their feelings uh, the roughness to their feelings uh, that they were referring to now what was the hard saying you'll, you'll find the, uh, the commentators divided some commentators reckon that uh, the whole discourse is included in this uh, reference hard saying and uh, certainly it's true that uh, throughout the discourse there were many many things that were difficult uh, hard for a typically Jewish audience of the day to take uh, the typically Jew Jewish audience of the day if you gathered one anywhere in Palestine would be thinking of a messiah who would uh, uh, be a great political deliverer for the people they, they wouldn't be thinking of a messiah who would be a great deliverer from sin 
and that this was the type of audience Jesus had uh, and that their notions uh, by and large were very materialistic uh, you can easily detect from uh, some of their own remarks and some of the things that he said by way of reply for example uh, early in the discourse he says labor not for the meat that perisheth and, and he said that following the, the attempt that they made to make him king uh, he would be a particularly useful sort of king because he would be uh, a provider of literal bread and Jesus said uh, I'm telling you uh, you have sought me you have you have searched me out uh, not because you saw the miracles proving that I'm the Messiah but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled and in fact uh, the whole movement uh, of this discourse uh, was uh, against anybody looking to him uh, to fulfill uh, earthly and, and materialistic uh, <coughs> aspirations. And then you find him saying towards the end of the discourse in verse 62 uh, that it was his intention to return to the Father. Now uh, that wasn't uh, a very promising uh, uh, thing to hear in view of the prevalent opinion among the Jews that Messiah abideth forever in, in the chapter 12 a crowd of Jews came to Jesus one day and they said we have heard uh, out of the scriptures that Christ abideth forever and how sayest thou then that the Son of Man must be lifted up so that he said a lot of things that were hard to take for a typically Jewish audience but it's not unlikely uh, that by hard saying they referred especially to Jesus' statement about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. A statement that developed and became more explicit as this, as this sermon went on until it came out in the most uh, abrupt and, and, and uh, clear terms. From that moment uh, they became specially disturbed and eventually disturbed enough uh, for many of them to go back and walked, walk no more with him. Now Jesus must have been uh, referring in this expression uh, about his flesh and his blood, my flesh is meat indeed and my uh, blood is drink in indeed he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him to his death for the life of the world in verse 51 he, he says uh, that he would give his flesh for the life uh, this, the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give with the life of, uh, for the life of the world some people have seen here uh, a reference to um, uh, not just to the atoning death and acceptance uh, uh, of the atoning death of Christ but a reference to the Lord's Supper now it does seem if you look at various uh, things that uh, our Lord has said very clearly throughout this address uh, that the idea that it refers to the Lord's Supper directly in any direct way that that doesn't fit in really because our Lord is speaking of something which is 
absolutely essential uh, for salvation. He says, except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, then you have no life in you. <coughs> and to say that uh, our Lord uh, means uh, to refer to the sacrament here uh, would make our Lord say that uh, all who do not partake of the Lord's Supper are, are, are simply not uh, participants in eternal life. Then what about people like the penitent thief? Where would he be? Uh, and uh, such an idea would um, place a premium on formal and superstitious Christianity. Take the sacraments and you'll go to heaven, which the Bible, of course, uh, never says. The Bible never, never places uh, any sacrament or ordinance between a man and salvation. That's not to say, of course, that uh, the sacraments are not very important. They, they, they're very, very important indeed in their place. And it, it would be sinful for a believer to neglect them. But they don't have that sort of importance that if you don't have the sacrament, you don't go to heaven. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. So Jesus means uh, uh, here when he says he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood he, he means something spiritual. Uh, he means an experience of faith in relation to him. He says the words that I say unto you are spirit and life. So rather is it a Christ in his, in his person and, and work as the Lamb of God who beareth away the sin of the world uh, the Lamb of God who is to be received by faith as our exclusive saviour from sin uh, that our Lord is referring to well then these uh, somewhat loosely attached disciples uh, they were attached to him for uh, for the wrong reasons. They were attached to him for uh, earthly, political, uh, materialistic reasons. They they found this to be a hard saying. They found it to conflict with what they themselves believed about Christ. And the, the upshot was that they declined to receive Christ on his own terms as the Saviour sent from God. And they went back and they walked no more with him. Now one point that uh, uh, just before we move on from these uh, background thoughts, one point uh, that uh, this raises for us is that our Lord doesn't wish to have disciples on the wrong terms. And coming to him, uh, receiving him, offering to be one of his disciples on any other terms than having him as a saviour from sin wouldn't do anybody any good anyway. And it is the outstanding mark of uh, the true disciple that although he may find some things in the discourses of Christ uh, difficult to understand and not even Calvin or Augustine understood everything that Jesus said by the time they died 
Although there are, there are things in the discourses of Jesus that they find hard to understand. It is the outstanding mark of true disciples that they receive Christ as the Savior from sin through his death and then his resurrection and then his presence at God's right hand where he said he was going. Now could we look a, a little further at this second thought which I've just introduced uh, the essence of a true Christian uh, position. The, these men went back and they went back because they found uh, certain parts of Jesus teaching to be in uh, strict conflict with what they themselves had learned to believe about Jesus. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, as we said, you never find our Lord uh, pressuring people or even allowing people uh, to be his disciples on a mistaken understanding. And he says, in accordance with that, he says, will ye also go away? They were free to do so. They could go there and then. They could follow the men who had just taken their departure. They were free to do so, and they must make up their own minds. Will ye also go away? Well, it was at this point that, that Peter, uh, Peter, of course, uh, first, as always, uh, in his loyalty to Christ, uh, in doing anything that might seem to be a loyal gesture to Christ, unfortunately from Peter, it came from a sincere heart, Peter uh, came in with this glorious confession of faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to underline the, the, the point again that uh, Peter and the other men who stood with Jesus at this time after the others had gone, the other believing disciples, uh, Peter and his, and his friends were a long, long way from being clear as to the full purpose of our Lord's coming into the world. See, if they had been clear about it, then uh, they, surely they wouldn't have been taken by surprise when uh, Jesus died. Uh, you remember the sentiments of the two men on the road to Emmaus really put, it, put, put into words what they were all thinking and feeling, whether they said it outwardly or not. We thought, and it was a sad and, and puzzled reflection, we thought that it had been he which should redeem Israel. Well, things were a bit better after the resurrection, but they weren't all that good. <coughs> A great deal of their vision was was clarified uh, through our Lord's uh, frequent meetings with them after the resurrection. But in spite of that, there was still a lingering uh, expectation that somehow Jesus would, uh, before he tied things up on earth, 
produce a bonus for the Jewish people along nationalistic lines. And, and virtually the last snatch of conversation that they had when they stood on the slopes of the Mount of Olives near Bethany, virtually the last snatch of conversation they had included these words, Lord, uh, you're about to go away. Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom again unto Israel? Still looking for something, even those men so near to him, those true believers still looking for something in nationalistic and earthly and materialistic terms. So that we have to keep in mind that these men were a long way from being quite clear as to the full purpose of the coming of Christ into the world. And that means that <clears throat> we should be very careful uh, about dismissing uh, professing Christians uh, as not being Christians at all just because their theology is not quite square. But although we have that to say, it is very clear that even this early, I mean as early as Peter's confession at this time, it's quite clear that even this early they saw the, the central function of Jesus Christ as being a saviour from sin, as being the sole supplier of eternal life. Thou hast, don't know everything Lord, I don't know everything, but this I do know, thou hast the words of eternal life. Now it's a wonderful confession this. It's, it's a wonderful confession coming from the centre of a group of men like that. And it, it's even more wonderful when you think that here was an ordinary man in the street, Jewish man in the street, an ordinary uh, humble fisherman of Galilee, who, who was acknowledging this Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah when, when his own religious leaders had conspired to reject Jesus. It was no wonder that Jesus said on a similar occasion about Peter and to Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. Well, the, the Gospel story it makes clear that uh, Peter was far from being a perfect man. It's not just that he, he was pretty um, pretty ill-taught as far as doctrine was concerned, even at this stage and even later to a quite considerable extent. It's that he was a morally imperfect man. A man who was prone to sin and sometimes to sin that was uh, of a very surprising nature in, in the circle of, uh, close circle of our Lord's disciples and a man who was full of infirmity and yet he had the essential thing God the Father had revealed uh, Jesus of Nazareth to Peter as being the promised Messiah the Son of God the Saviour of the world and in accordance with that experience you find Peter saying to whom shall we go thou hast the words of eternal life what's to be gained Lord uh, by leaving thee 
to, to which of the Jewish leaders can give us anything like what thou hast given to us? Which of them can give us eternal life? Will the Sadducees, will the Pharisees, will the, will the innermost circle of the zealots be able to provide us with eternal life? No. However much we have to learn yet, Lord, and however difficult we can see already it's going to be if we remain with thee we can't go anywhere else and we won't go anywhere else because we have learned that thou thou exclusively hast eternal life these uh, that friends <coughs> is a position which uh, every true Christian will be found taking up if we follow Christ then of course uh, we're bound I mean if we follow Christ with any degree of consistency at all we're bound to run up against trial and persecution difficulties of various kinds and uh, which of us can avoid confessing if we're honest that we have much dimness of understanding which of us can't help seeing in Simon Peter a good bit of ourselves? We have a long way to go, a lot to learn. Certain things remain problems to us. Certain things in the Bible, certain things about uh, relating our Christian life to, uh, to the life of the world in general. All that's true and, and it's not going to, we can live till we're as old as Methuselah. It's not going to change substantially. The time will never come when we can say now I see everything not in this life we see to the very end of it only through a glass darkly but then on the other hand you've been through the world you've met a lot of the men of the world you've read your papers you've watched your television you've read your books you've been to school which of the philosophies of this world which of the would-be systems of salvation as they canvas you would you honestly go to for what Christ professes to give you can say like Simon Peter not one of them to whom Lord could I go I know I'm free to go I know that I must make up my mind but I'm in this position to whom Lord could I go thou hast the words of eternal life Jesus said the words that I speak unto you they are spirit uh, and life now he meant by that that his words uh, of course we we are living we're living on the other side of, of uh, Pentecost we have got all the benefits of apostolic developed doctrine to help us uh, and of course we know from school days from the shorter catechism days that Jesus meant that uh, his words brought into uh, uh, into our hearts brought home to our hearts and consciences by the Holy Spirit that they are the great means that God uses of bringing spiritual life to man the words of Christ uh, they become the parent of Christian uh, Christian thoughts and Christian convictions in the believers mind Paul said to Timothy he he didn't just say it he, he insisted on it the scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus 
And when he added, uh, through faith that is in Christ Jesus, he was uh, underlining the point that uh, the gospel leads men to Christ. Christ is the exclusive uh, bestower of eternal life. It's not the words themselves. It's not the, it's not the, the Bible itself uh, that gives us eternal life. It, it brings us to Christ. The, the scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation by virtue of faith in Christ Jesus. And that is precisely what Peter meant. Now, as we said, he, he, Peter didn't yet, he certainly did not yet uh, have much of a developed doctrine uh, about the place of gospel truth uh, in the experience which brings a man to Christ and to the enjoyment of peace with God. That came later. But Peter did know. And it, it was a personal experience that nobody could deprive him of. That Christ's teaching had introduced them to eternal life. That is, it was, that it was as he went about with this man and listened to what he said that this great change had come over him. And, and he put it as alone, as, in the only way he could put it, thou hast the words of eternal life. <coughs> well, friends, this is fundamental to all a uh, true Christian experience. The, the words of Christ uh, the gospel of Christ maybe you bring to us eternal life maybe you may well be and I sometimes wish I were myself uh, such a person and I'm not uh, you may well be and you may thank God for it it may be in the position of, of knowing clearly you can think of the day in the house of God or somewhere else when this particular scripture was blessed to you by the Holy Spirit and you, you saw in the scriptures Christ. And, and you can mention the day and the place and the hour. That's marvelous and it's a thing to, to cherish. Not all God's people have it that way. Um, probably the bulk of us who have been brought up in, in, from childhood in a church environment, probably most of us do not have that sort of experience. But whether the thing we can, whether it, it came to us, uh, the, the, the vital uh, experience uh, came to us in such a way that we can think of one particular place with one particular text or section of scripture, or on the other hand, came to us over a, a period where we can't think of particular scriptures. <coughs> The great thing is to be able to say, wh which, whichever way we came, that we're, we're, our standpoint now is that Christ has the words of eternal life. That somewhere uh, under the teaching of the word of God, the, 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 the gospels and the epistles, the word of God in general, we have found Christ to be the Messiah. So it doesn't matter whether you can remember the text or the day or even the year or even the decade for that matter. It's whether you can say uh, and mean it. Well, thou hast the words of eternal life. Now, just in a word, the logic of a true Christian position. You don't get uh, the full logic of a true Christian position developed here. As I said, we live on the, 
we're favoured to live on the downside of Pentecost and that means on the downside of uh, those great apostolic uh, elaborations of the doctrine of Christ. Uh, later on we read that it was to these men that Jesus said as they were gathered in the upper room ye are they that have continued with me you didn't go away you had the opportunity you know that I didn't want you to be with me on false terms or on a false understanding I gave you the opportunity you had to make up your own mind and now ye are they who have continued with me in my temptations it was these men that our Lord addressed in the upper room and invited to participate in the first Lord's Supper this do in remembrance of me maybe the, maybe the sermon is the sort of sermon that uh, if you had an English sermon I understand you don't uh, you might have had last night Friday it has the overtones of a, a Friday sermon this but uh, I think there's no harm in carrying the sentiments of Friday through to the Saturday uh, do we can we confess Jesus as Simon Peter did despite all the likeness that there's in us to Simon Peter in certain less favorable respects the, the imperfections of character the, the imperfections of understanding well can we confess him like Simon Peter in spite of everything then we are invited to go the whole way with her confession this was a confession but it was only a partial confession Peter had to make the confession also in the upper room he had to make the confession on the day of Pentecost with all the Jews round about and the people that, he, that had scared him to death almost he had to make the confession when later on in life he was led where he wouldn't, didn't want to go at the end of life and we are invited like Peter to go the whole way with our confession this do in remembrance of me as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the Lord's death till he come says Paul there was no halting ground for Simon Peter and there's no halting ground I mean properly there's no halting ground for anybody with Peter's confession between that confession and the upper room the Lord's table will you also go away no Lord we can't we can't why not because thou was the words of eternal life and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ the son of the living God hear they who have continued with me in my temptations this do in remembrance of me now the Lord's Supper is, is intended to focus say for believers the, the, the fundamental uh, gospel truth stated by our Lord here whoso uh, eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life the, the atoning death of Christ and uh, personal receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as the catechism puts it this do in remembrance of me these, these in a sense are words of life themselves the, the sacrament aims at the uh, at the uh, spiritual nourishment of the Christian 
perhaps if we're not spiritually prepared sometimes for the communion, let, let's be honest. Sometimes when we're not spiritually prepared, we're apt to think of the communion. You know, whatever you say to your neighbour, isn't it grand the communion's coming round? There's something inside you that may be saying, oh, it's an awful interruption in the, in the way of the, the ordinary way of things. There are all these services and it's very inconvenient at this time of year when I want to be out in my garden. There's something of that in every believer. If only he's honest. That's not what he says to his neighbour, of course. The communion's coming round. <coughs> We should think of the communion and, and bring these thoughts out from scripture that the communion is given us out of the, the kindness and love of God our Saviour. They are words of life. This do in remembrance of me. Yes, if we were left to ourselves we would carry on forever in our gardens and hope that we would get to heaven at the end of the day. But this do in remembrance of me. Stop. Stop. Take communion. Take the broken, the emblems of the broken body and the shed blood. I'm asking you to do it, and it's not a mere commandment, it's, it's, it's a kindness if only you knew it, that you may be spiritually nourished and grow in grace. Uh, and it's meant to promote uh, fellowship with like-minded people as well as with the Lord himself. Paul calls it the table of the communion. That's what we tend to think of it often in our, in our um, highland churches, uh, in our Presbyterian churches, we tend to speak of it that way. You don't normally talk about the Eucharist, although the, the, there's that element, the element of thanksgiving, in all the gatherings of the Lord's people at uh, sacramental times. We tend to speak of the communion. And when you think of it, uh, <coughs> look back to the covenanting times, and, and it's from periods like that that a lot of our distinctive church terms have gathered their special characteristics it must have been communion to those people uh, when they were driven about on the hills and they had an opportunity uh, maybe half an hour sometimes to gather together uh, in some uh, little uh, little valley and there uh, to have fellowship with the Lord and with one another it was communion that, that, that would have been the understanding uh, the understanding sentiment in connection with it so the Lord promotes communion through our observing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. There's one other point I want to emphasize, and very briefly. In John 12, this group of Jews came and said something, they referred to something that was fundamental to all, uh, well, to most Jewish thought of the time, that Christ abideth forever. They thought of the Messiah coming, and then somehow probably their ideas were vague, he would set up a kingdom and there would be a, a permanent kingdom on earth. Well, Jesus soon put an end, uh, well, his words were fitted soon to put an end uh, to such notions when he, he said again and again and again, I'm going back to the Father. But although the, the Jews misunderstood uh, the law, because the law did say in fact, there's no question, Christ abideth forever. Again and again it says things like, of his kingdom and power, there shall be no end. Although they misunderstood it, there is, there is, there is a sense in which it is gloriously true. Christ, Christ's power to save, that's what the uh, New Testament emphasizes, has no end. 
Now you go to the epistle to the Hebrews and you read, He ever lives to make intercession for us. And friends, this, is, this should be comforting uh, when we come to the Lord's table. Think of all the, the, the sin of our lives and think of uh, all the sin and unworthiness since last we were at the Lord's table. What a shocking state of affairs for anybody who sincerely sat at the Lord's table in the company of the Lord's people and their a Christian ministry and took the emblems of the broken body and shed blood. What a shocking thing it is that we should have behaved as we have behaved since we last were at the Lord's table. Uh, I, I'm speaking of course in general terms but I know that uh, uh, this is the case that every true Christian will just say Amen. It's a shocking thing. Well where is our comfort? Uh, are we coming to the Lord's table because well, we were there last year and, and in fact we've been coming 20 years and we would never dream of coming, of, of not coming to the Lord's table. The occasion is here again. Surely what we want to be looking at for, for our comfort and also for the propriety of the thing, for the, for the fittingness of the thing, we should be looking to this great doctrine that Messiah abideth forever. That's where we should get our comfort. I mean, if we were to go by the way we've often behaved and thought and word and deed since we were last at the Lord's table, we shouldn't be here tomorrow. We shouldn't go back there again. But there's the great comfort. Messiah abideth forever. He ever lives to make intercession for all who come unto God through him. Uh, yes, it's been shocking. It's been... Uh, it, we do not deserve forgiveness, but there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared Messiah abideth forever and, and, and looking to him let us come with gratitude and Christian confidence once again to the Lord's table because Messiah abideth forever to whom shall we go thou hast the words of eternal life let us pray O Lord we pray thee to seal the instruction of uh, thy truth about, upon our hearts and minds and, and hearts and consciences and forgive us Lord for anything sinful or unworthy or untoward in holy things and we pray thee to give us due preparation of mind and spirit for the Lord's day and give us a living faith in the Messiah who abideth forever for his name's sake Amen <laughs>